So um, it's really nice to now know that I can bring the people working together because I'm actually realising that the people is number one in, in this journey. We really, to understand ourselves, break through our fears. Because a lot of what we're doing on our farm is actually deep in ground fears that are holding us back and stopping the energy from flowing. And then to bring, be able to bring in farming, to bring in nature and if we can farm in a more natural way then we are producing great food which allows us to be healthy um, and it becomes this one big this one big cycle which is really cool that it all come together. The Biological Farming Roundtable podcast helps farmers explore innovative, low input, regenerative and profitable farming systems. The Biological Farming Roundtable is sponsored by Nutrisoil, an award-winning biological liquid fertiliser made from a big worm farm. Nutrisoil's purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food. My name is Nicola Maddock. I work at Nutrisoil. I envisage a future where farmers are rewarded for producing nutrient-rich foods and consumers have this easily available to them. Hello Robin, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm going really well. Thank you for having me here today. Wonderful. Well, it is our first podcast of 2023. So who better to have on the show is my good friend, Robin Tate. Um, I, hopefully I get some more podcasts done this year. I didn't quite get many done last year, but we've got a good lineup for this year. And I'm so glad that you are number one in the lineup. Yeah, it's very exciting. And this is my very first podcast. So yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, we've had many conversations, so let's just pretend we're having a good old chat because that's all a podcast is. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> awesome. So if I start off about the first time I heard about you, it was from Vic Notil, um, a farmer-led organisation who's a really amazing organisation doing great things um, in regenerative agriculture, and they said, you've, you've got to meet Robin Tate. And I think that must have been 2018 when you were finishing you're in our field, but I might have met you in 2019. Um, yeah. And now you're one of our key Nutrisol Hub advisors, but you always explain the independence to you is really important as an advisor. So, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing the path that we have found together. And then there's also other things we've been working on. Um, so tell us and our listeners a bit about the business that you have um what's it called and what do you do I guess a day in the life of Robin Tate <laughs> well I haven't actually settled on a business name um as yet I'm just um Robin Tate um consulting I suppose we'll we'll say um and so I'm um yeah, very much important to me to be independent and it has been my whole career. Um, so I'm working um, as a consultant now with farmers um, around the education space of um, talking about soil and the whole ecosystem and the whole farm ecosystem and also bringing in the component of people as well because the people are so important in this um, regenerative um, space that we're in because we need to be really confident within ourselves because we're getting off the beaten path of agriculture. So we need to be, yeah, know what we're doing and be driven in the decision that we've made to change our farming. Mm, absolutely. I was just listening to a Tony Robbins thing just this morning. He's got this five-day unshakable challenge and it started at like 6am this morning. And one of the things that really resonated with me was if you try and make change 
and you don't know your why and you start with the how, so you just do what someone else has told you to do or you do what someone else is doing, then it's not going to be a a long-lasting change and that's kind of what you're talking about with people, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly it. And um, one of the big lessons from my Nuffield was um, like I went away um, probably just thinking about all the hows, like how you do this, how you do that. And then there was a big lesson in the middle of it that nothing matters about the how until you understand why and why you're doing it. So that's what I really like to bring into my work is the why, um, why the soil works that way. Why do we need the soil to be covered? Why do we need diversity? And then that just helps people understand why they're doing it. And then the how can come from there. So do you go even deeper than that? So that's the why of understanding the how. But yeah. what about their personal why? Like uh, in terms of they they want to be sustainable, they want to leave the land uh, for their family, they want healthy food that's not chemical, you know, laden with chemicals. Do you go even further than that with people? Yeah, I do like to go further than that with people. Um, it's sort of becoming more a part of my work. It hasn't been so much this last year, but it's be definitely coming. I really like to delve into the why they're doing it and what the vision is for the farm, what they're trying to create, like that long-term vision, 100 years' time, 200 years' time. Um, what do you want to look at, like, when you're up, wherever you are, um, looking down at your farm, what do you want to to see it looking like and what is it are doing and achieving and yeah so yeah I really try to bring that into the work as well it's really important to set that why up at the start yeah I love and that you haven't just gone five years you went 100 years yeah yeah <laughs> I think that's important because we can go I mean yes we do need to have our five year and our 10 year and our 20 year goal um, but that real long-term vision that long-term vision gives you that reason for planting the trees and for setting your farm up in the way that you want it rather than just having short-term sort of goals and achievements which mm. uh, obviously we need small steps but we also need that big vision that big dream way out there that we're trying to achieve so yeah, or the purpose, to bring the purpose into what we're doing every day. Do you think that many farmers have that before you get to them or is that a conversation that you kind of need to warm people up to? Is it easy to have that conversation? <laughs> um, not, not with everybody. Um, some people, I just, it feels like I've thrown them a real curveball and um, and when I ask that long-term vision, they've got that short-term vision is sort of there. Um, and so, yeah, it is something that with some people it's just there straight away and others it's where I'm yeah working up to it. And so going, okay, well, what is it that we want to achieve on the farm? And so that we can, you know, when days become tough, you've got your why there, you know what you're trying to work towards and you can continue on through those, through those days. Okay. That, that's that really crucial moment, isn't it? Because you're looking yeah. over the fence, you're thinking someone's farm's bigger than mine, I'm not as important as them, someone's yeah. got more yield than me, I haven't been as successful as them. Um, when we went to the Zach Bush event, you and me went to the Zach Bush event in uh, yeah. Melbourne recently and how amazing was that? Uh, he talked about othering and he said we all do it. Why do we do it? Yeah. So, you know, when we pass, none of that is going to matter. We can't take any of that with us what in the world are we doing comparing ourselves to others all the time what is it that we truly want 
Yeah, that's right. And I think that also comes back to um, learning to live in the present, like the present today, because we we are always trying to compare ourselves to other people and go, oh, well, I'm not good enough. I mean, I'm the worst person <laughs> doing this and comparing and saying, oh, I just need to learn more. I need to know more. How can I be out here consulting when I don't know enough? Um, but we've just got to remember that we do know enough and, there, and we are enough just being us. And yeah, that to stop comparing ourselves or looking over the fence is a being about being really, I suppose, complete or understanding ourselves and saying that it is okay to be us and it is okay that our farm is where our farm is because um, that's that's what we're where we are at the moment. And um, yeah, comparing doesn't do us any good. It doesn't get us forward because we're always we're sort of holding ourselves back by because we're not actually looking to see what we've actually achieved actually on our farm like our blinkers can be on and not actually see see what's actually happening on our farm it's an absolute glass ceiling isn't it I love that vulnerability and I'll share with you I feel exactly the same you know yeah I, I, I have those doubts I have those feelings that I don't know enough about vermiculture yet I know so much about vermiculture that others don't know and I've got that to share. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for that vulnerability. Um, I think we will go there a bit further, but I've read your Nuffield Scholarship paper and there was so much in that. Tell me about the double cropping in France and Belgium. Yeah, so, um, yeah, in 2018, I actually yeah, travelled all over the world um, talking to lots of different farmers and then came back and did more around Australia but in in Belgium and France so I went to this um, one farm who has been regenerative using the no-till methods for about 15 years and he's um, yeah so one of the the methods is to keep a living plant all year round one of the principles and he'd he'd harvested um, spring spring barley and then he'd um, planted buckwheat and winter wheat um, straight in after the spring barley and then so then the buckwheat was going to get harvested later in the summer and then the um, winter wheat was going to get harvested the following following year so it's a, a method of keeping um, a plant growing all year round and also um, yeah having three crops in in two years basically which was uh, an amazing sort of you know, production of that land um, and using the principles of healthy soils. So, yeah. Do you see that being used in Australia? Um, well, it's definitely, it's what I found, I suppose, was there's just so many different ideas out there and often we get quite stuck in our, in our box um, and we can't think of anything different. So it was, it's all ideas to bring back to Australia. Um, and it might not be exactly used in that way that they've used it, but it can it can be tweaked to actually suit our system. So, yeah, definitely, I think it, it can be used here in a, in Australia. It's just depending on what your moisture levels are, your rainfall. Somewhere here, like Tasmania, where we probably do do a fair bit of you would say double cropping because crops follow straight directly after because um, we've got irrigation which allows. Um, <laughs> to change things a little bit yeah so it really takes it back to your climate your soil your fertility what's actually going to suit that system yeah so looking at someone else's system you can take ideas but copying it probably doesn't 
often work. Yeah, that's um, right. you took in potatoes. There was something in potatoes I saw where they were growing um, another crop with the potatoes. Uh, yeah, so that um, so that was I saw that in France and in um, Colorado at Brendan Rockies. So they're growing like um, legumes in with the potatoes, so peas, uh, chickling vetch, um, chickpeas, in as a well as a companion, um, and also help to bring in extra nitrogen for those potatoes, and it also provides a a bridge for the insects to be able to get into the into the crop and actually spread their wings through the crop so you've got your insect um control or your beneficial insects are living in your crop it was just really interesting also like where there was a miss with the potatoes those um companion plants had actually really taken over that space so like in the wet areas they were actually growing they were able to take up the moisture where across the potato paddock when you looked across it there was you could see um, yeah, very little peas, very little chickling vetch, and those potatoes being able to suppress the numbers. But where the potatoes didn't grow, they were growing and flourishing and enjoying their their time. So it's just that um, by bringing in different plants into the crop allows each plant to thrive in the area that it it um, it likes, like you know the different soil conditions, the wet or the dry, and yeah. So I guess the crop was potato. That was what they were trying to harvest. That was their cash yeah. crop. Do you think that those other plants that had taken over in those areas had reduced the um, yield of the potatoes? Well, the potatoes wouldn't have grown in that area anyway. So you would have just had a bare area. I mean, it was only small spaces. It wasn't massive spaces. So. Um, yeah, no, so there was no risk that it was um, hampering the yield of the potatoes. Like when I generally looked across the paddock, it just looked fully like a potato crop, just with a few flowers poking up here and there, which the, allowed the insects to to get into the crop, like have bridges because um, to fly through. So. Yeah. You have to use a lot of fungicide on a traditional potato crop. Do you think that they could reduce the amount of chemical they use because of those um additional species in there um yeah so they they had really reduced the amount of um well number one insecticide and also the fungicide was reducing because because um leading up to their potatoes they had a mixed cover crop for two years which was grazed by cattle um bringing in they didn't have to have the cattle they brought in a rancher from um and his cattle so they're building up the resilience of that soil then that plant is growing in the potatoes going in it's being planted with its companions so there's diversity in that crop as well which is bringing the health of the soil up which meant that the plant they were reducing their fungicide application have you seen that use in australia um i haven't actually but it's interesting i've got a person here in tassie that's trying it this year um planting buckwheat and peas with the potatoes so it's going to be very exciting i'm hanging out to see some photos of how that's actually working so yeah. brilliant that's awesome um okay cover crops i would if i called you any specialist i would call you a cover crop specialist i think um you really know your plants you know how to put them together you know why you're putting them together tell me what um What's your main reason for using cover crops and where are you using them in Tasmania? Yeah, um, it's been really interesting. My career's probably, I've been 
mainly in cropping production um, for most of my career. In the last couple of years, since my Nuffield, I've actually moved more into livestock. So the cover crop uh, is so important in our cropping system, it, although it's been quite difficult to bring in the diversity um, because it's such a short-term crop and we're trying to get our crops actually planted in, um, well, get ground ready in June, uh, sorry, July, August, and then planting in, in that time when it's a really wet period in Tassie. So we don't want a whole lot of bulk um, and a whole lot of green material um, at that point in time. But yeah, to have our ground covered over that winter period so we're not losing lots of soil is really important. And then the cover crop um, in livestock production, we're using diversity um, in fodder crops to feed cattle or sheep during periods of low um, grass production. So winter fodder crops, and it also can act you know, a little bit like a sacrifice paddock when the rest of the, the farm is wet and the cattle can come and be on this mixed fodder crop um, and and eating a diversity of food rather than we often just make our sheep or cattle eat like um, like a, a forage brassica and it's there's not a lot of fibre in there and we have to have runoff paddocks. So bringing, being able to bring in the oats, the cereal rye, um, other plants with fibre in there with the brassica is, um, yeah, helping the animals um, with their growth rates and um, actually just being a bit more happier on their forage. That's interesting. There's a few things in that, but you said that when it's really wet, you can actually use that paddock compared to the other paddocks that don't have as much growth. So it really, does it assist with the pugging? What is it? Um, yeah, I suppose the paddocks are still getting, um, they are still getting pugged up. It's a little bit of this catch 22, but when we do have diversity actually in our, in our crops, we have diversity of roots, um, short and long, um, and the um, really long and medium ones, it actually allows the ground to carry a bit more weight in your animals. Um, so it's like a, it becomes a living sponge and they are able to, um, the soil is able to carry the cattle um, and sheep, any livestock that you've got. But it is, if, when it becomes really wet, it is, it would be best to get your animals off the soil, but, um, yeah, the, the diversity is allowing actually that land to carry them for that little bit longer, where if you just had a grass with a short, short roots, um, you need to get the cattle off earlier. It's nearly like a mattress. I think I've had it explained to me like a mattress, isn't it? So just that spring in there from those root systems. Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah, it's like absolutely spring. And as it got explained to me, if you have anything living, um, it springs back into the form that it was. So if we squash our hand, that we can squash it, but it, when we unsquash it, it goes back to the form of a hand. So oh anything, goodness. Yeah, yeah if, I've never thought of it like that. Yeah, so if we can create a living soil um, and we squash it, then it can come back to being what it was like, so like that spring. So it's really important, um, yeah, if we want our soil to be healthy and happy that we we keep it do everything that keeps it to be a living organism so that it can fit shape and keep supporting us how absolutely simple is that and yet yeah. how powerful I just I've never thought of it like that that's amazing yeah it was just amazing when um yeah Rick explained that to me I'm like well it just that just makes sense doesn't it, it? does yeah sometimes 
sometimes we just need a little like a little demonstration or a little um, metaphor to make it a visualization I suppose to make it go hit home and you go oh okay I get it <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah uh let's talk about those cover crops how we plant them so firstly in the grazing scenario um is there anyone just sowing straight into their existing perennial pastures or are they spraying it out first and preparing it what what's the general way that you're using these multi-species in grazing operations um it all it all depends on what the goal is what is the farm's vision also where they're um, going some farms are still quite happy to be using chemical and spray out the crop and then work the ground um, and others are um, just a blanket said there's no more chemical to be applied on this farm um, so the cold turkey method or just gradually working our way in um, so I have got some people um, like what we'll do is we'll eat the the existing grass right down really hard down to the boards and then um, if need be put a mulcher across it just to take it down even further and then plant directly into it. Um, there is a little bit of competition sort of tends to happen you need to get your timing right and moisture that sort of thing and if it's yeah others um, just a, a light disc across just to break up that um, grass turfy layer and then sow into it or full cultivation. It, it really, it depends, I think, on what values or what um, your vision for your farm is, where you're at in your farming because, and the risk factor as well, like if you really, really need that crop to, to grow and like um, probably cultivation is the best way. But then we know that cultivation is not great for our fungi that affects our soil biology. So. And then, then sometimes when we're starting off paddocks, that we like just starting out the system in the transition to a more natural system. Starting from ground zero is okay. Like sometimes we just need to reset our soil system. And if we have to rip, if we have to cultivate to get that and get our diversity in and comes back to the understanding the why, like, um, so we know that we've done damage, we've hurt, we've um, disturbed the soil. Um, we've taken out diversity. So now understanding the principles of healthy soil, we can go, okay, well, how do we help this soil repair as quick as we can? So getting those um, plants growing as quickly as possible, diversity of roots, um, if there's any biological um, inputs that we could be applying just to help to feed that biology so it can recover quickly. So with your multi-species type of crops, you're not as much using synthetic fertiliser, it's more biological inputs yeah um i mean yep once again comes down to where you are in your farm there are still um some farms that i work with that put down a small amount of um, synthetic granular at at the start of planting there's others that are just purely using the biological of course um coating our seed um in nutrisoil give that seed a good good start um, and then we just a few Tasmania doesn't really have liquid inject um, system set up we've just got a contractor that's putting a liquid inject on his drill so that's very exciting we'll be able to put some compost extract and the worm ex, um, extract down with the seed as well so yeah and then mainly yeah try with our cover crops or forage crops just using biological inputs to feed them through the system 
yeah. Yeah. I still want to talk about cropping and sowing and, and terminating, but something that I really picked up then is that everyone's got their different purpose, their different vision, their different why, yet you must have your own for the land because I know how much you love land and yeah. uh, there must be a bit of a difficulty working with uh, clients when you think, I really think that they should be doing this, but they haven't, they're not ready to move themselves. So they just haven't, you know, expanded to that next level of comfort of becoming regenerative and they might be using some more controlling type of methods. How do you, how do you, I guess, personally deal with that? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one because I've been through my own personal journey of transitioning from artificial to natural as well. And it's, it's, it's really, I suppose, meeting the person at where they're at. Um, and for me, it was really hard at the start um, because it was all so new, so exciting. Like I just, you know, travelled for the whole year um, being immersed with all these soil carers from the world and understanding that the soil was alive. And when I came home from my Nuffield, it was it was really tricky because I just wanted everyone to get this. I'm like, can't you see that the soil is alive and if we support it, it's going to support us. And I was just telling everyone and anybody and, bash, and bashing my head against brick walls, trying to get people to understand. And it had, yeah, so that was for me going from completely conventional or not completely conventional mindset. I already had this under underneath but then to go to a quite natural sort of understanding it, it it's been a process for me to get to the point where it's like okay not everyone's seen what I've seen they haven't been on the journey that I've been on and their paradigms haven't been completely shifted so now I have to be a bit more empathetic to to where and understand where they are at and what they can actually see and, and then just bring them slowly on the journey and feed the information that they need at that point in time to go through. And, yeah, it's it's just being there on the journey with them. For me, it used to hurt so much, but now I'm understanding that I'm on my journey, they're on their journey, and it's about helping them to get to where they want to get to. And yeah it's it's okay <laughs> it's yeah. yeah I don't know how to explain that but it's just I've got to the point where I'm I can accept that you know that's where they're at that's where I'm at and it's yes okay sometimes deep down it does hurt when we may need to use some chemical or high rates of fertilizer but it's not about me projecting that onto the farmer it's about going well this is okay it's a transition how do we um, reduce the impact that that has on the 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 natural ecosystem on the soil and and then going from there that makes me think and and we will talk about this later but I just have to say now the work that I know you work with Jane Suttery who's a co-founder of Natural Intelligence Farming and and Nutrisoil and the team do as well and one of the biggest things that she has taught us is no judgments, no conditions. Everyone yeah. is where they are and there's a reason for that and that is okay. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's probably what you found. 
Yeah, that's right, exactly. And it's if we do go in with our judgments and our conditioning on how this person needs to be, then we don't get the best out of that person. Um, Jane, yeah, I've been working very closely with Jane. It's been an amazing um, journey. But one farm visit, I was really worked up about it. I'm like, I don't want to go. I'm going to have to talk about chemicals. I don't want to work with farmers that are using chemical anymore. Um, and, you know, it's quite, it's very quite conventional, that sort of thing. But Jane's like, hang on a minute, you've already judged this person, you've already judged their land, you've already put your conditions on what it's going to be like. How about you just go with no judgment, no conditioning, just, and I was like, so with a blank mind. And so I did, I had to work my, you know, driving up, I'm like, no, nothing, you don't know this person, it's just you, you're meeting them for the first time. And it turned into one of the most amazing farm visits. We had great conversations. I was able to be fully myself. Um, I feel like they were able to be themselves as well and ask, ask questions that they really wanted to ask. So it's just, it's just lessons that you have and you start to understand if you do just meet the person where they're at and um, have put none of your preconceived judgments or ideas out on them or about them how it just all flows so much better isn't that amazing yeah it is going back so we don't want to stop talking about the cropping and the multi-species um how are they using the multi-species in cropping in terms of the sowing and the termination yeah um it's funny that you I feel like I've just moved so far away from the cropping um, in the last couple of years, but it, it's still there in me and I'm still working with some people that are using um, the cover crops. So in so our Tasmanian um, conditions or how our our rotation is set up, it's it's quite different to other parts of Australia and the world. I really in my travels, I understood that Tasmania is actually very unique um, and it's very important for us Tasmanians to get out of our island and see that <laughs> things are, are actually quite different to how we work. But um, so we're like high vegetable production, intensive cropping, there's crops going in all the time. And um, the cover crop, because currently a lot of the drills that we have in the companies, we're quite controlled by companies and who you actually grow the vegetables for. They often supply the planting equipment and the harvest equipment. So our drills currently can't cope with any trash, any, any bit that's dragging on the surface. And we're also trying to plant really, really small seed that needs generally sometimes only five mil under the surface. So cover crops can be quite problematic um, in terms of how we deal with them coming into that planting season. Often if we've grown something that's really tall, really diverse, sort of let it get a bit out of control because also we don't, as croppers, we don't like to have livestock coming in onto our red dirt. <laughs> so we've got nothing to take that bulk down. Um, so there'll often be some ploughing, um, some mulching, all sorts of things that maybe aren't necessarily the best for our soil, but that's the way that we have to do it to deal with 
to, to deal with the bulk and deal with the drills that we're using. In saying that, um, there is a little bit of um, new thinking coming in, um, strip till for broccoli. I mean, that's been around for quite a while. Um, being able to actually go into a little bit more bulk, you don't have to have a perfect seed bed. And um, there's some investigation with disc drills as well. So, um, yeah, that's the whole systems thing. It's it's not even the farmer making the decision there. It's the system of who's buying, yeah, uh, the food. Yeah, isn't that yeah. amazing? I was talking to a cane farmer just yesterday, and the same thing for him. So he had found that his sweet spot um, was eighty units. Uh, was yeah, eighty units of nitrogen. Normally, a low level is one hundred and twenty, and people use a lot more. Um, and he could get eighty to ninety tons and be profitable but he wanted to get 90 to 100 tons and equal profit and use more synthetic fertilizer and I was like why and he said because of the harvester if the if the harvester comes in and I don't have enough tonnage they drive too fast and they rip the soil and they all have to share the harvesters they have to share the mills um so he actually it, it wasn't as much as he wanted to to lower his fertilizer, the system didn't really reward him for that. Yeah, and that that's the really tricky um, part about it because we're so locked into the current system that's there, isn't really fully understanding or set up for us that want to start doing diverse crops, you know, multi-species crops that we actually harvest and deliver. And, I mean, in Tasmania, like, Pyrethrum is grown for a company. Poppies is grown for a company. The onions are grown for a company. Like potatoes, everything is grown for a company. And often a lot of that, um, the companies dictate how things need to be grown and how they're harvested and how they're planted. So it becomes really hard if you are actually trying to transition and change the way that your soil, because often, say with potatoes, there's so much um, ground cultivation that needs to happen because... Um, the harvester needs no clods. It needs lovely soil that it just comes up and it makes for easy harvesting. You don't have to have a lot of people in the back of the harvester. So what happens is we go, okay, well, this is the harvester that we use. And then we work back and go, well, this is how we have to actually work our soil to plant the crop so that we can harvest it. So there is this massive system change, this massive paradigm that of shifting of how we think needs to happen if we are going to change the way vegetable production is is done and don't get me wrong like there are lots of things that are starting to happen um it's this remembering where people are at and where I'm at um so you know like I would like to see so much more change but just the small step I have to keep reminding me the small steps anything is positive so and I think we have to make sure that we know that there's infinite possibilities we can't just like it could be quite easy to say, oh, damn, it's a systems change. We can't do anything about that. Yeah. But my next podcast guest, I'll, I'll share an example, is Jacob Wolke. And yeah. he wanted to open a butchery. He had his own meat and his own market garden and he wanted to take it uh, to the retail sector. But he wasn't big enough to actually employ a salesperson, like a, someone to man the store. 
So he actually created a store that has a login that people go in. It's not manned and they pay by credit card. There's a whole video system there and then they leave. And in two years, however long it's been operating, he's never had anyone steal anything. And he has this operating butcher store that has no staff, so he doesn't have to pay them. So, you know, it's really, I was like, how did you think of that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what we need. We need really creative thinking, don't we? Yeah, and that's um, absolutely creative thinking. And like, like we're so used to working in our box of how things are done. Um, and you know, my grandfather did it like that. My father did it like that. So it has to be done like this. But we really need to peek over the side of, or completely jump outside of our box and actually go and look at all the other uh, different possibilities that are out there, because there are so many things in different industries, different places that you can bring inspiration from. One of Nuffield's sayings is, you know, inspiration comes from the least expected places. So listen with open minds and watch with open eyes what you're looking at because you just never know what can be brought into your farm or your life. Or Yeah, and I say you talk about creativity too. Like I think that's a really important bit to bring into um, our farm as well or into our life because we, we are very quite creative when we're children but it sort of gets squashed out of us like we we stop being creative and I really try and well I would like to bring into my work I have I mean because I've got a fair creative streak in me as well love taking photos how we can actually bring and re-engage that creativity which is within us but has been squashed so that that helps us to come up with all of these new and exciting things that we could be doing on our farm like what Jacob's created is amazing if he was very stuck in his box he could have gone oh well I just can't do that um so I won't do that and be all in dumps about my farm can't where am I going to sell everything where he's been able to go get creative and create a a solution to yeah yeah he could have just used the systems that were there so maybe going to markets which wouldn't have made him be as successful as what he is now he wouldn't have had such a big market people consistently buying um that also makes me think of a workshop that we did in WA and often um farmers will bring their kids along who are their homeschooling but they're quite agriculturally minded you know farm kids and we talk about what the next generation of farming looks like and those kids say like I say to them what do you need for this next generation of farming because the parents will say yeah we need to be more sustainable we need to be more profitable we need to you know increase the health of our land um and I say to the kids what do you need to do this and they say let us be creative no really yeah yeah I just I just remember that one workshop they were like let us be creative and I thought that was just so beautiful yeah that that is so right um and be creative to change the systems and allow things to be different so that the farm or soil can be farmed so it for it, a living soil so it stays alive and supports us long into the future yeah uh going back to the cropping i feel like the 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 actual hands-on stuff is a little bit boring rather than dreaming about these big things but they are hands-on stuff that we need to work through um multi-species crop you've used it as a break crop um and you're going into a a cash crop yep uh there's a couple of options of of how you can terminate that crop 
What is the main option that people are using in Tasmania? Um, I'd say still probably the main option is um, with chemical um, application to take it out, um, take it out at a point when it's not too big, we can still deal with it. Uh, if you have got livestock like it is um, using the livestock to take it down and we have there has been a few experiments done with a crimper roller um, we're still yeah still not completely convinced that that's the way to go but um yeah there's there's methods I think I'm um, also using like cultivation is a method to actually um end that crop as well what made you want to apply for an upfield scholarship? Um, so I've had a long time at Botanical Resources Australia. I'm growing pyrethrum. Um, I've been a pyrethrum production agronomist with them for yeah ten years. Um, what made me want to apply for my Nuffield scholarship? So I love pyrethrum. It was so much part of my life, um, but it was getting. It was starting to get so sick um, and, you know, the answer was always another chemical or, or another synthetic um, that we could use to actually help it get over its sickness. And me having sort of come into understanding of human health and we can actually um, heal ourselves through good nutrition, I'm like, well, why can't we do this for the plants? Like surely we can give the plants some some better nutrition, you know, maybe grow them in healthier soil so they can get everything they need to create their own immunity. And it just wasn't something that was on the radar at all. And I thought um, doing a course with Graham Sate on nutritional farming, I'm like, yep, okay, soil is the answer. We can we can um, work through this. We can make grow healthier plants. And I decided that yeah doing enough field would be an amazing way to have a look what was happening around the world how people were bringing the regenerative principles into their um, farms so that um, they were reducing their synthetic inputs and it was really yeah so it was a means for me to help an industry or help me um, to stay in agriculture because I loved I love farming, I love agriculture, but I couldn't continue um, working in a way where you are applying a lot of chemicals, a lot of fertiliser, a lot of cultivation. And I could see that if we could improve the health of our soils, start supporting that, that we could grow healthier plants and we wouldn't have to be using as much chemical. And I could, I sort of just had little tiny glimpses that the farmers were really quite enjoying this new way of farming, like I mean, it, it's still very much old, goes back to our great-grandfathers and how they farmed, but bringing it back to the to the present now. And I was like, I was sort of getting a little bit disengaged. I could see a lot of the farmers that I was being, were getting disengaged as well. I'm like, well, this could be a really exciting way to keep us all in farming and keep us farming long into the future and growing good, healthy plants and good food. When you went to the Nuffield Scholarship, uh, when you went travelling, you probably didn't visit large organisations that were in that system. You would have went to family farmers 
that were making their own decisions, that were using their own equipment um, and could 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 really control or, or um, make their own choices about how they farmed. Would that be correct? Yeah, that really was correct. Um, and that was one of my biggest um, probably take-homes from all of this was it's it's about a change within the person and when you've got control, full control over your farm and where you're supplying your um, end products, then you can make that change. But when you're reliant on companies and industry for where you're supplying your product, it becomes very hard to make the changes. You may want to change, you may make changes, but there's other powers to be that are dictating how you're actually farming. I did find a few bigger organisations, um, Barfits in the UK and G's, which were, they probably were big, fat, bigger family companies that had got quite big, but they'd made decisions that they wanted to change how they were producing their food. They wanted their farms to be productive long, long into the future, like their great-grandchildren could still be farming it. So they had, they had made a conscious decision or um, at the higher level, higher end of the business, which was then filtering through down onto the farm where a lot of the family-owned farms and a bit more in control of where they sell, they could make that decisions like it was ground-up decisions, which was moving forward. And then just starting to glimpse into like the enterprise stacking and working different ways of actually being able to sell your food that that wasn't really on my radar at that point but it was a really really exciting part that I saw and I was like oh this is really cool and it's only now coming into my work now the enterprise stacking and how important it is to get creative and um, get different methods of being able to sell or markets to sell our produce. Have you got some sort of I know early stages, but any examples of what you might be thinking of that might work in that enterprise stacking on some of the farms that you help with? It's just looking at, I think, different markets. Just say, um, so we're growing multi-species crops together um, and you can get docked by putting in impurities into the into the silos. So is there... Is there markets that we could be looking at? Are there dairy farmers that might actually need those mixed mixed grains that don't need to be cleaned that you could just um, sell straight to them rather than having to about just say deliver your wheat? And uh, yeah, so it's that that different creating different markets and also maybe um, one example I saw and it's starting to sort of be just talked about is like having your um, seed grading or a seed cleaner so you can actually clean out your different lines and, yeah, bring being able to actually bring that onto the farm might be like and set up yourself a little hub and other people that are wanting to farm in this way could maybe use your seed cleaner that allows it to be cleaned out. And then the accidents in um, Canada, like at the point when, I was there, like everything was being so clean that was actually straight away um, suitable for human consumption. So they were selling their grains directly um, to for for people to to eat and making flour. And um, yeah, I think it's just really exciting that, as you said before, infinite possibility out there of what you can actually bring to the farm 
and just by bringing in the cover crops there is the need for livestock to come in which then provides another income stream and then if you have got diversity starting to build on the farm like bees is always a good example like the bees can come in for for pollination and also for honey production mm. and even just what you're taking out because you're putting those that diversity in there so there was um you wrote in your paper about a canola crop uh, that had a companion crop like faba beans or lentils um, or fenugreek um, and it eliminated the need for insecticides where there was a canola crop that only had it didn't have any diversity with it it was just a monoculture of canola and it had seven uh, insecticide applications yeah isn't that it's just amazing it's that that change in thinking okay well we put if we put in diversity and what I mean that plants are obviously healthier but then also the insects couldn't determine like they're flying over and couldn't de determine that it was a canola crop so they're just continuing on to go to a monoculture canola crop. Yeah so that creativity and putting in those multi-species reducing the need for insecticide I guess the barrier is will the canola harvest as high and I had this conversation with a WA farmer yesterday he came here for lunch with his wife it was wonderful and he was saying I need to get my yield up and I was like okay uh why you know what let I, I'm sure you do if if you you're saying you do but let's go through why and it got it came into that othering so he was profitable he was using less fertilizer uh, and his topsoil had built, his root systems had gotten deeper, his uh, lupins had way more uh, nodulation on them. And I was like, well, what else, what else are you chasing? And he was like, yeah, I'm happy. I really had to challenge him to yeah. realize that he was happy. And his wife said, yeah, we're happy. Yeah. Uh, so we just, we just, that yield, it's such a mindset thing. It's more profit. It's more happiness. It's more seeing you achieve what, what your, your goals and visions are. And of course, I'm not going to say that there's people that uh, have a budget and that, that have to make certain yields. I get that. Um, but it, it's choices that you've made to get you there sometimes, or maybe choices that other family members have made to get you there. So people are, are certainly in a box that they can't get out of. I totally get that. And I'm putting no judgment on that. But if you're in a position where you're regenerating your soil, you're getting diversity in and you're profitable, it's, you've, you've got to stop back and go, wow, look what yeah. I'm achieving. Yeah, and I think that's important too to have maybe an outsider actually come to you and say or sort of, as you said, challenge the thinking of, well, why do you need to have more yield? And I was on a farm visit with a person and all he talked about was all the problems and all the things that weren't going right on the farm. And I said, all I've heard today is problems. Is there actually anything going right on your farm? Because I can see lots of things going right. And and he's like, ah, okay. So just by me being able to go hang on a minute, pull him up and challenging him on that, he then go, okay, well, the cows are really healthy. They're enjoying their diverse pastures. 
And he was able to actually start to list off and think about some positives that were happening on the farm. So it's often someone just with completely new eyes that just needs to come in and help you see something different. If someone's energy level is low, then what they're going to be seeing is lower than what they could be seeing. Yeah, Yeah. it's got a lot to do with energy. And energy is not only just the food that you eat or the sleep that you get. Energy is how you think. You can actually change the way you think about something. Yeah. And then you can enjoy what you're farming more and things come to you more. Manifestation, doesn't it? This does lead us into... I was just going to say also there that that whole mind, like, you know, if we're really negative about weeds and all we, like, we hate thistles, all we see is all the thistles. Um, It's been a really interesting transition that I've seen in me because I'm used to, we want beautiful straight rows of plants, no weeds, lovely and clean. Looks, it used to look amazing to me. It still does look pretty cool in an artistic way. And it was only halfway or three quarters of the way through last year. And I was like looking at pastures and looking at crops. And normally you know, as a cover grass crop, we would go, okay, we need to spray it out. There's too many weeds in there because we're going to put in our poppies or we're going to put in something next and we don't want them to build up. And I just looked at this grass and I was like, wow, look at that pasture and look at that diversity. That is so cool. Where before I would have gone, oh, look, that's so messy and that's so weedy. We need to spray it. How our eyes of what we're observing or what we're taking note of um, changes the way that we're looking at things because I'm now looking for lots of diversity, lots of plants, and that brings me complete happiness and I know the system's starting to work. Where before I was like, oh, weeds are bad. We don't want to see weeds. So I was just looking for monoculture um so it's just what we focus on is really important um Mm. and what we focus on we get more of so let's focus on the positive rather than the weeds or the things that are really annoying us and if you think of what's the positive of bare soil like really what is the positive of bare soil yeah well (laughs) there yeah. yeah, in our paradigm that we work, there is no benefit whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Where in, in people's minds that are trying to conserve energy uh, and moisture, I mean, um, yeah, it's it's a great thing. So no food for the microbes, the heat that builds up, you can't regenerate your soil, all of your uh, you know, your secondary metabolites and proteins just totally denature. So there's no life left in that soil. Yeah. So then our challenge, our big challenge is how do we make sure that those weeds are not in our cash crop? <laughs> Am I concentrating on something I shouldn't be? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, good yeah. Call. <laughs> and it's also that whole thought, you know, we're so focused on um, the disease, like as an agronomist um, or as farmers, all we're going out into the crop is we're going to look for disease. We're going to go and see what our problem is and see whether we need to spray. When do we actually ever just go out there and look at how healthy things are like and how good our crop is going? We've always got this mindset of we're going to check for something. So let's go with the mindset of we're going to look at our healthy plants, our, the positivity of growth um, rather than, than death, I suppose. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. 
It does. So let, this is leading me into, um, you've done a lot of work with Jane Sardery from Natural Intelligence Farming. You've, you've basically been working alongside her for quite a while. I'm pretty aware you've been running some workshops, being like that co-person for Jane um, and potentially breaking out and doing some on your own. Uh, like, tell me what that work is and what are your plans for that work? Is it too early to ask? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's amazing. It's really hard to explain what that work is, but it's 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 been a massive journey for me. And I think the work is actually it's understanding you at the core and what you are or who you are and peeling away all of those fears that are holding us back in in life, I suppose. And and if we're fearful about weeds and you know fearful that we can't if we don't put that spray on we are going to lose our crop that is our full belief that's our fear so it's gen it's good it's going to happen because we're we're in a way sort of manifesting that to happen because we know if we don't put that chemical on we'll lose our crop where if we've got the belief or that thought that my crop doesn't need a fungicide. It's it's more than okay. I know it's healthy. I know it's fine. And that, yeah, we don't, the, the fear's not there. We're more looking at the life. We're looking at how well the plant is growing. Then the likelihood of needing a fungicide is really low because mm -hmm. our thoughts are that our crop is fine. So, yeah, it's it's just really really special work I would say and my life is completely changed through working with Jane and Jane helping to see who I am and to help me remove a lot of those fears um, and to live in the present day and um, not be worrying about the future not bringing the past into today which makes a massive difference to life and has helped oh, well it's just helped me because I'm you know I'm a was a workaholic probably still am a workaholic but I'm not I was probably working to prove my worth and you know I am a good person all those sort of things but now it's just I'm working because I've I've got a vision and I I've got a mission of I want to help farmers to transition to this from an artificial to a biological natural system and to yeah help us be more free and and let let life just flow I don't know what I'm saying Nicola it's really hard I love to all of, I love all of those words especially yeah. that word free yeah fear fear and free they're like the two opposites aren't they yeah and that's what I really feel that um once we can and I'll talk for me once I've been able to remove and like don't get me wrong there's still so much more to go but once you can take those layers of fear away life does become more free and more things flow and it feels that the right things actually come along because we're not we're a bit more open to the infinite possibilities we're not stuck in our boxes of how we have to be and who we are it's just okay what's best for me now and it seems to seems to just all happen and fall into place so 
and how am I going to bring this into my work? It's really interesting. I've always, I keep a bit of a, a business idea book or like ideas and I have for a long time. And I've always, I've done a lot of personal work, development work in the past and I've understood that getting your vision, getting your why, having goals, having yeah, just understanding yourself actually makes life a little bit easier. It helps making those decisions. And um, so I've wanted to include um, people in my work. I've wanted to include um, creativity. I've wanted to include good food. And I've wanted to include farming. And I've never known how that all can work together. And for some reason, somehow finding Jane and natural intelligence farming has somehow or other all that all works back together again <laughs> so um it's really nice to now know that I can bring the people working together because I'm actually realizing that the people is number one in in this journey we really to understand ourselves break through our fears because a lot of what we're doing on our farm is actually deep in ground fears that are holding us back and stopping the energy from flowing and then to bring, be able to bring in farming, to bring in nature and if we can farm in a more natural way, then we are producing great food which allows us to be healthy um, and it becomes this one, big, this one big cycle which is really cool that it can all come together. There's two strong forces and yeah. I think those strong forces are nature and people. Yeah. Like yeah. out of everything that can... Uh, affect the outcome in this world nature and people I keep thinking so people can control nature but all of a sudden it's going to come back and it's going to bite you in the butt <laughs> yeah so um yeah I think that we we've tricked ourselves that that we are more important our decisions are more important that we can control it um and then we've got to a point where in this system we can't get out of it even though we know oh damn nature is coming back to bite us in the butt and we don't know how to get out of it and then we're in fear mode and what you're saying is that we need to get away from fear and into freedom. Yeah. And I still see this system change being a big thing that we need to just keep concentrating on. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's also we need to understand that we are part of nature, like we're not separate to nature. And so we we are very important in that ecosystem and how we are where our minds are at. And if we're trying to control um, nature, then we're disrupting how it all works. So we have to actually get to a point where we understand we are nature. I we, guess we, yeah, we become fertility yeah. for the food for our future generations because we yeah. die and we go to the land and we become yeah. fertility. So we are absolutely part of the land. Yeah, and then and how we are responding and thinking that you know dictate that this paddock needs to have this crop and we need to do this and we need to do that it it's almost saying that we're better than nature and we don't know oh sorry that nature doesn't know how to how to do all of this if we can actually start to see ourselves as as part of all of it um, and work more in with nature then it's all just going to flow so much better and it it does come back to us having to 
come back with into our true self, into our heart and who uh, the heart of who we really are rather than being controlled by our head. And that is that is just so powerful. And being a science trained, um, loving mass, loving everything about, um, I suppose, procedures and that sort of thing, it, it's quite hard to, to let go of that programming and that training. But we, we need to do that. We need to let turn our heads off and go back to our heart and what our gut instinct is telling us that is most important for us to be doing right at this point in time. Beautiful. Well, Robin, that has been the most amazing conversation. I know when we end our Fridays talking or start our Mondays talking, we know it starts and ends really lovely. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. If people want to get in contact with you, um, you don't have a website. How, how do people find you? <laughs> um, most people have been finding me through Instagram. So if you look um, up Robin underscore Tate, um, you'll find me on Instagram and send me a message through there. Um, or, um, yeah, if, if, if you're meant to find me, you'll find me. <laughs> but also looking, um, if you look on the Nuffield website, if you search me, you'll have my contact details are there as well. So, yeah. Um, or um, contact Nutrisoil. Um, you've got you've got my number, um, and people yeah can get me through that. So yeah, and it's not just Tasmania. You work. You're happy to do Zooms with people. I know it's not as um, as effective, but if someone was in Victoria yeah. or yeah, yeah, you have absolutely. done work in Victoria. Yeah, I'm absolutely happy to do Zoom calls with anybody. Um, and putting cover crop mixes together, it's as it's really important to go through what your goal is and then tailor that that cover crop mix to what you you want. And also um, as I move into more of the um, natural intelligence farming, there might be yeah, just some work with you as a person, or you might feel like you wanna you resonate with me and want to have a chat and yeah. So there's there's that work as well. And and sometimes I'm in Victoria or other places and I can do on the ground. Um, visits but yeah let's start with zoom for for mainland mainland visits so yeah well I'm really excited for where your business is going to go and the opportunity uh, that people have to be in contact with you and, and to learn these things from you so wonderful thank you so much for being in agriculture Robin <laughs> thank you very much Nicola that's great <laughs> all right see you bye Please follow the Biological Farming Roundtable podcast. Share it with your friends and networks. I'm Nicola Maddick and I work at Nutrisoil, a liquid biological fertiliser made from a big worm farm whose purpose is to empower farmers to produce life-enriching food.